So Matthew chapter 13, we'll read verse 1 through verse 23. I read from the New King James Version. Um, so Matthew 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude, whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he, who, uh, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not Understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their, their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside, but he who receives the seed on, uh, but he who receives uh, the seed on the stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a, a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who receives the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So a couple of weeks ago, we uh, met here in the park. And I got to tell you, it was really hard for me last week just because I don't like canceling church. But, you know, it was cold. Uh, 
we expected the snow. It was a, it was a good thing to do. It didn't want you guys to have to suffer in the cold. Uh, we, we came here in case anybody showed up, and it did snow and uh, made me feel a little bit about, better about the decision. But a couple of weeks ago in the park, we started our study in Matthew 13. You know, it's, we're just continuing our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. And it's in Matthew 13 we come to the seven kingdom parables that Jesus taught. And, uh, you know, we looked last time we were together at the first portion of it. We weren't able to get to the, the whole uh, parable. And if you weren't here for that study, I just want to encourage you. You might want to go online and check out that study. You know, uh, it's the first part of this. This is the second part of the study. So just for today, though, our purpose is today. We'll just go through a quick review of what we learned last time before we move on. What we learned last time was at this point in Jesus' ministry, he begins teaching the people uh, through the use of parables, right? He teaches the multitudes through parables, those people that are following him. And the English word parable comes from two Greek words, para, which means uh, alongside, and balos, which means to throw. And so a parable means to throw alongside. So what Jesus is doing using parables as a teaching method it is, is he's taking something of the physical, something that's very well known to the people, and he lays it alongside a spiritual truth that he's uh, seeking to communicate to the people. And Jesus taught in parables for two main reasons. One, he spoke in parables to reveal the more difficult spiritual truth to his disciples, right? Those that have a heart and a desire to know what it was that Jesus was talking about, you know, they would take the time to think it through. They would invest time and energy into understanding what it was that Jesus was saying. And those who would invest that time and energy, those that would think it through, right, uh, they would discover the truth behind that parable. And then all of a sudden, that truth would become ingrained in them. And that truth would be part of them. They would own that truth for the rest of their life. But the second reason Jesus used parables was to hide the truth from those who didn't really want to know the truth people who didn't want to know or people who weren't interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. And for those people, the parable would conceal the truth of the kingdom of God from those people who didn't really care about the spiritual reality that Jesus was speaking about, those who didn't have the heart or didn't have the desire. So in the parable of the sower, Jesus is using something very, very well known uh, to the people. It's just a very well known imagery that he's painting this picture uh, of this sower that's in the field. And in verse 19, Jesus tells us that the sower is sowing the seed, and that seed is the word of the kingdom, right? 
The seed is speaking the kingdom of God. It's a reference to the word of God. It's a reference to the gospel. And the sower is anyone who sows that seed. Anyone who takes the word of God and speaks it into or sows it into another person's life. And, this, and uh, a sower is that person who, you know, does that, is engaging in that. And Jesus is teaching through this parable the different kinds of soils that the seed falls upon. And Jesus says that the seed falls upon four different types of soils. And they represent the heart of the, the people that hear the word of God. They're the different hearers of the word. And we also saw last week that the sower would broadcast the seed. He would just throw it out there. And even though he would, you know, try to carefully cast that seed into a place where that seed could take root and produce a crop, some of the seed would just fall on all the different types of soil, not just on the good types of soil. And the first thing that we noticed last time we were together, it was in regard to the seed, and that was that God wants everyone to hear the word of God. He wants everyone to hear the gospel. He knows that only one out of four people are going to appropriately apply that gospel to their life, right? But he still wants everyone to hear the gospel. And so the seed is thrown out. He wants everyone to know the truth. What people do with that truth is between them and God. They're responsible for how they handle that truth. As sowers, we're not to concern ourselves with any of that. Our job is to sow the seed. Verse 18, Jesus says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus, he begins to explain the parable of the sower to his disciples. And he says in verse 19, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. And again, the wayside represents those that hear the word of God and they don't understand it. In contrast to the other soils, the wayside represents that heart of those people that do not or will not receive the word of God. The wayside represents the hearts that are hard towards God, the hearts that do not uh, receive God's word when it is sown, when it goes forth. And we looked uh, last time at four things that could cause a hard heart. One, we looked at sin. When we choose to live in an ongoing sinful lifestyle, our hearts will grow hard. Secondly, a refusal to receive God's conviction. When God convicts us about something that we're doing wrong and we refuse to listen, when we insist upon going in the direction that we uh, are, are going in, what we're doing is we're teaching our heart not to hear from God and our heart will grow hard. The third thing that we mentioned last time was hypocrisy. 
the hypocrisy will also cause a heart to grow hard. If, as believers, we live a hypocritical lifestyle, we can cause our heart and we can cause the hearts of people around us to grow hard. A heart will grow hard if we're not living the things that we claim we believe. And fourth, we mentioned people can have a hard heart towards God and God's word because like the beaten path, they've been beaten down, right? They've been abused. They've been walked on. They've been stepped on by others one too many times and their hearts have grown hard. And the good news we mentioned last week, last time we were together, the good news is that Jesus, he is the great physician and he's in the business of healing hard hearts. He can take an old heart of stone. He can take an insensitive, critical, unforgiving, skeptical heart and give to anyone that would come to him and ask him for a brand new heart. He's willing to do that. He's more than happy to give that person a new heart, a sensitive heart, a heart that is, is after his heart. That's the business of our Savior, and I'm so thankful for it. Now, we want to pick up part two of our study. We continue in verse 20. And verse 20 says, But he who received the seed on stony places, <clears throat> this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It's not always a good sign that someone has a joyful experience with the Lord immediately upon hearing the gospel. <clears throat> I don't want you to misunderstand. Don't get me wrong, right? Uh, joy is a tremendous part of coming to know Jesus as our Savior. But being a Christian needs to be much deeper than an emotional experience. Right? Emotions come and go. You know, they ebb and flow. As Christians, our faith is to be based and built upon the Word of God, not upon our emotions. Right? In this case, we read that this person immediately received the Word of God with joy. And verse 21 says, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The stony places, they rep it represents that person who has received the word of God through an incredible emotional experience, right? They, they receive it instantly when they hear it. They receive it immediately. And there's joy as a result of this incredible emotional experience experience with the Lord. Maybe they received the Lord uh, while attending a, a service where it was kind of more like a pep rally before a football game. You know what I mean? Give me a J, J. Give me an E, E. Give me an S, S. Give me a U, U. Give me an S, S. What's that spell? Jesus. What's that spell? Jesus. You know? 
um, a service where there's a lot of hype. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? You know, the crowd I'm talking about, they would be into it. You know, they're, everyone's raising their hands. You know, everyone's going forward. There's pressure to go forward. And there's just this incredible emotional experience that takes place. And I think we need to be very careful when we share the gospel with people that we don't play on people's emotions. Right? There are people... There are pastors that they'll, they'll close their message with the story of, you know, that little girl who right, you know, she's dying there. She's in her, on her deathbed in the hospital. And she, before she dies, she says, Daddy, will I see you in heaven? You know? And as the audience listens, you know, to that pastor giving this emotional story, their emotions are touched as the pastor pulls on the heartstrings. And there are, there are ways to manipulate people. And we see it all the time on TV. Uh, you know, there are certain ministries that they manipulate uh, people through emotional pleas. You know, you see the old Jewish lady in the broken down house in the middle of winter. You know, or you see the African children standing in line for food distribution and right after those images they ask you to give and you know again don't get me wrong I'm not saying that every ministry or organization that shows pictures like that is bad I don't think that I'm just saying that many organizations that do that they're just trying to get an emotional response from people and what Jesus is saying here is instead of the word of God being received deeply into the heart, accompanied by brokenness and repentance, the decision here is just a shallow decision. It's a surfacey decision. It's an emotional decision. And in verse 5, he's, Jesus says, these are those that immediately sprang up, but because they had no root in them, what happens to that person? Right? We see in verse 21 that they immediately stumble. We see in verse 6, they immediately are withered away. And verse 21 tells us that this person or the, the heart that's being represented uh, here. He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while for when, what's it say? What comes? Tribulation. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. It's important to understand as Christians, we're going to have tribulation. Jesus said, John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, trials, difficulties, pressures. The word tribulation, it comes from the Greek word philipsis, 
and it means to press. It's also translated affliction, right? In this world, we are going to face pressure, tribulation, trials, and difficulties. Paul said in the book of Acts to those in Iconium and Lystra as he was uh, traveling through strengthening the churches, he said in the books of, book of Acts, Acts 4, 22, he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You know, he's saying that we're going to go through difficulties. We're going to go through many tribulations before we get to heaven. That's the path that's before Christians, right? And God has a way of using tribulations in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to refine us, doesn't he? I mean, he does in my life. James said, my brethren, James 1.4, you know this verse, my brethren, count it all joy when what? When you fall into various trials. Have you ever noticed that? You know, it's not like you're expecting a trial, right? Nobody wakes up, says, all right, it's a new day, you know? Uh, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to today's trial coming my way, 945. That's when it's scheduled. I hope it's not late. I hate, I hate waiting, you know? The more accurate description of trials, how they enter into our lives is we're just walking through our day, minding our own business, when all of a sudden, you know, we just fall into this incredible difficult time. The situation just like it springs upon us, you know, out of the blue, stress and pressure, difficulties and battles. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect, perfect work that you may be perfect, or it could also be translated that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Or, again, also could be trans, translated not lacking in any area. God wants you to be mature. God wants you to be complete, right? And God has a way of putting us in the fire, doesn't he? He has a way of using difficulties and trials and tribulations and pressure and circumstances and people. And yes, even COVID-19. He has a way of using these things to create in us the man or the woman, the character he wants us to have. Trials and tribulations are part of the Christian life. But we notice also persecution is also a part of the Christian life, right? Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He said, because you're not of the world, the world hates you. He goes on to say, if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And 
Luke's gospel, Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Jesus said, if, if everyone's speaking well of you, that's a problem. And I'm not saying that we should purposely try to make people angry with us, to make them mad at us. But if you're not experiencing a certain degree of persecution, maybe you're not being the salt. Maybe you're not being the light you should be. Maybe you're not living a godly life. You know, oh, I, I, I can't say that. He might get mad at me. You know, I, I work with him and, and I don't want to offend him. You know, there are people that are going to be offended if you're living for Jesus, right? Sometimes people will take it the wrong way when uh, you're being the light and the salt that you're supposed to be as a believer. The cross is an offense to those that are perishing, the Bible says. And if your life as a believer, you know, you bring light into darkness. Your life exposes the darkness. The Spirit of God that's within you brings conviction to those who are not walking with the Lord. And they can be offended. Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, instructing him, saying, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution is part of the Christian life. I think a lot of new believers hear a message kind of like, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. You know, your troubles are going to be uh, over. You won't ever worry again in this lifetime, right? You'll never have another worry. Everything's just going to get better and better if you give your life to Christ. You know, the, the flowers are going to smell fresher and the colors are going to be, you know, more vibrant. You'll be able to hang out with the cool people like you've always wanted to. You'll never have another worry. What, what do you say? Let's pray so that you can receive Jesus. And you know what? Who wouldn't say yes to a message like that? I think we can do people a disservice if that's the message that we're preaching, right? The fact of the matter is, Life is better as a Christian because of the relationship we have with Jesus. But there are many trials and tribulations also. You know, you may lose friends. You may lose family. You may lose a job for taking a stand for Jesus. Life is better with Jesus, but... Being a Christian doesn't mean you're immune to trials and tribulations or immune to persecution. Since there's an enemy to our soul, there's an enemy to your soul, following Jesus actually ensures trials, tribulations, and persecution. But it also ensures an eternity with God in glory. Boy, I love the meme. Personally, I love the meme 
that has Jesus saying, I didn't say it would be easy. I said it would be worth it. And you know what, boy? Living as a Christian is worth it. I think as a messenger of the gospel, I need to be, uh, you need to be preaching a gospel that is real, that's true, and that's honest. One that is preparing people for the difficulties they'll face as a Christian. If you give your life to Christ, there will be difficulties. But Jesus will be there to walk you through those difficulties and to give you wisdom in the situations that you face. That's what's wonderful about being a Christian. Having Jesus take you by the hand and lead you. He promises to see you through the trials and the tribulations that you face in life. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, uh, we read that God promises, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Man, how precious of a promise is that? It's beyond wonderful being a believer in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean you'll never suffer difficulties or tribulation or persecution. As a new believer, there's suddenly a lot of difficulties that come into your life, right? Because things are changing, you know? You're learning how to say no to your flesh, and your flesh doesn't give up easily. Your flesh doesn't just say, oh, okay, all right, that's good. I'm down with that, let's go. No, your flesh fights back. It hates living for Christ, right? You're also learning how to take that stand for Jesus. And people are going to be convicted by your stand, and they'll in turn persecute you for that stand. There are all kinds of new challenges when you give your life to Christ. You know, and as you read this parable, as you look down at verse 21, why do you think that those who receive the seed in the stony places only endure for a while? Well, it's because Jesus tells us that person has no root in himself. That person has no root. There's no depth. Right? As a result, this person cannot endure difficult times. What about you? Is there depth to your Christianity? The Bible teaches us that we need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Our roots need to go deep into the Word of God. We need to make reading the Bible, reading the Word a priority in our lives. That's what creates stability. You know, it's the contrast between the tumbleweed that's blown about by every new wind, you know, blown about in different directions depending on the wind. It's the, it's the contrast between that tumbleweed and a sequoia or a redwood whose roots go deep, deep, down into the ground it's not affected by the wind it's stable it's solid and the roots speak of the hidden parts of our christian life 
that, are, that keeps us from being shallow with the Lord. Well, what are the, what are the hidden parts of our Christian life? Our quiet times with the Lord. Our reading and meditating on the Word of God. Our private worship before the Lord. You know, our prayer time with the Lord, where we're on our face before the Lord, just crying out for His heart, for His spirit, His will in our lives. Our fellowship with the Lord as we walk with Him through our day in a, in a constant attitude of prayer. These are the things that we cannot neglect if we want to go deep with Jesus Christ, right? These are the things that we cannot neglect. This is where our strength comes from, right? This is where our stability comes from. This is where the ability to endure difficulties through the, our days as they uh, enter into our life comes from. It comes from the hidden or unseen part of our lives. And I, and I pray, I, I really want you to hear my heart this morning. If you call Calvary Chapel Truckee your home, you call it your church, I think the Lord would speak to us this morning that he wants us to be a church that has deep, deep roots in the word of God so that we would be able to make disciples. There, there are going to be people in the coming months, in the coming years, that will come into our fellowship, and their roots will be very shallow at best. And God wants to use us to come alongside of them and to disciple them, right? But we can't give them what we don't have, right? We have... So many people in our fellowship that are older in the Lord. You know, some of you have been walking with the Lord for 15, 20, 30 years. And let me tell you, you're missing out of one of the greatest blessings in this life as a Christian if you're not pulling in a younger brother or sister and discipling them, right? My best friends are guys I've discipled. Guys that I've invited into my house and we've sat down at the dinner table and just discussed the word of God. You know, many of those guys that I've discipled are pastoring churches right now or they're serving in some capacity in their church. And I can honestly say, through those discipleship times, you know, I've received more through those times than I ever imagined I would have received. I think I got more out of it than any of those guys that I discipled, right? I grew through our discipleship uh, times, probably more than they did. And you'll hear me mention guys like Tim Lee. He pastors a church in, in Arizona. Aaron Wells up in Oregon. My good friend Little T is going to be here in July. You're going to get to meet him. These are lifelong friendships that have been birthed through times of discipleship, right? Each of us needs an intake of the word. And each of us needs to have a way of letting it out, right? 
letting out that which the Lord has shown us. We need to allow what the Lord has shown us to flow through us into the lives of others. Otherwise, we become stagnant, right? If we're just taking in and taking in, you know what we, happens is we just become fuller and fuller. We get spiritually fat and we grow more and more stagnant, right? It's not healthy. It makes, makes you lethargic. It makes you sick, right? We need an output. And there are those here this morning, some watching online, their life is very shallow with the Lord. And they need someone to come alongside and throw their arms around them and begin to pour into them. Timothy. Timothy was a young man who was very shallow with the Lord. And Paul took Timothy under his wing and began to disciple him. You know, he began to write letters with him. He, he included him in ministry. And eventually, Timothy uh, became a pastor as a young man, and he was living this fruitful life. And I honestly believe as a church, we're on the verge of seeing the Lord bringing young, shallow Christians into our midst, young, shallow couples that you older couples can invite over for dinner, right? Over for lunch and take them under your wing. And I'm not suggesting, you know, this is something you do three, four times a week, right? Maybe you just, you know, uh, get together over coffee and donuts. You know, that's what I like to do with the guys I disciple. You just sat down over coffee and donuts and open up the Bible. You know, maybe it's five or 10 minutes here, five or 10 minutes there. Maybe it's, you know, an evening here or an evening there, right? Opening the word, having a meal together and just discussing, you know, what it says in the Bible. And I promise you, if you'll catch that vision, you'll get more out of it than you've ever imagined possible. You'll be so blessed. Maybe this morning you realize that you made an emotional decision to follow Christ. Maybe you're not sure if, you're, if you've really been born again. There was a lot of emotion when you made the decision to follow Jesus. But as you look over your life, you're not really sure where you're at with the Lord. You know, you raised your hand. Maybe you went forward, but you're not really sure if you've been born again. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ, I didn't actually understand that he wanted to come into my life, that he wanted, to, uh, he wanted me to give him my heart, that he wanted uh, my heart completely, totally, right? I raised my hand and I did go forward, but I didn't understand he wanted to live within my heart to become my life. And as a result, you know, time passed and I just fell away. I continued living a life that was focused on what, what it was that I wanted to do. And it wasn't until that I 
it was years later, actually, that I understood that Jesus gave his life so that I might be saved, right? That he wanted my heart and he wanted my soul. That he paid for my sins with his shed blood and with his shed blood, he purchased me. You know, it was when I came to that understanding and I asked him to get, come into my life and I gave him my heart, I gave him my life, that's when I was born again. I've never regretted that decision. For me, it's been 42 years now walking with the Lord. I'm his. You know, maybe you've realized that you made an emotional decision to give your life to Christ, but you haven't yet been born again. You haven't yet experienced regeneration in your heart. If that describes you this morning, I would encourage you to call out to the Lord, to respond to him this morning. I would encourage you to have ears to hear his voice this morning saying, I'm speaking to you. Won't you come to me now? Well, verse 22, we see the third type of soil explained. Jesus says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This verse probably doesn't apply to anyone here this morning, so we'll just move on to verse 23. I'm just joking. You know what? This verse is the verse that probably applies to the majority of us here, the majority of Christians in the church as a whole today. How easy it is for us to get our eyes on the things of this world. How easy it is for the cares of this world to choke out the word of God from being fruitful in our lives. How easy it is, how prone we can be in getting focused on the here and the now. How easy it is for us to lose sight of what's really important. How quickly we can get focused on the cares of this world. How quickly my heart can become divided as I focus on the things that really don't matter that much. We can easily lose our eternal perspective and forget that this world is not our home. How easy it is to lose sight of the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven, right? I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven making my way through this world on my way home, right? I'm just passing through the cares of this world. Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of riches. And you might underline that in your Bibles, deceitfulness. And aren't riches deceitful? If I could just get a house there, then I would be content. We could have Bible studies there. We could open our home up to others and serve the Lord in it. And it's such a lie, right? If that's my focus, getting a house over there, 
on the lake. If that's my focus, getting a house over there on that big piece of property with a view, if that's my focus, you know what? It's not going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. If I could get that new truck, that new four-wheel drive truck or that new car, you know how good Tina would look in a Porsche? Boy, I'm telling you. You know, if we could just get that new car, then life would be good, right? Then I would be satisfied. If I could just get that raise or get that promotion at work, if we could just have that second income, then our family would be complete. You know, all of that, it's just like that carrot that's out there in front of the horse. You never quite get there, but it's always having to strive for more. You know, the fact is, if you could have all the money in the world right now, you could have all the money in the world this morning, you would find out very quickly how deceitful riches are. It doesn't satisfy. And the deceitfulness of riches tends to choke out what the Lord is wanting to do in your life. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Again, Paul's writing to his young protege. And he says, Now godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. If you're content with godliness, there is tremendous gain in that. Look at what the wisdom is in verse 7 and 8. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain... We can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Hey, Gary, didn't you just buy a new home? <laughs> we did. We just got the keys uh, Friday, actually. You know? But I'll tell you what. We never owned a home before. This is our first home. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. There are times when we tried to buy a house before, but God never allowed us to have a house, right? God told us he had something else for us. And at the time, a house uh, wouldn't allow us to go forward in God's plan for our lives to be missionaries. But now God has given us a house. And honestly, tell you the truth, I don't really want to, a home of our own because I just see like leaky roofs and broken water heaters and big bills, maintenance costs. But you know, God is, is, has blessed us, right? Giving us a house is God's way of showing me he wants me to be here for a while, right? It's a blessing from God at this stage in my life, in our life. I want to be ready to go on a moment's notice. I don't want anything holding me back, but God is telling me he wants me to plant roots here for such a time as this. You know, I never want to fall into the trap of living my life 
thinking if I can just get that, then everything will be right because it's such a trap. Paul continues, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Unfortunately, this verse is mistranslated a lot. They say, is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that. It's a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If these things are our focus, we become vulnerable to destruction and perdition, vulnerable to straying from the faith and many sorrows. And none of that is what we want in life, is it? But what's the deceitfulness? But that's the deceitfulness of riches. And Paul continues, verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good faith, fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Isn't that interesting? Let them do good that they uh, be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And riches are so deceitful. I was working construction and making a, a really good living when Tina and I were married. I worked as a land surveyor for many years. Tina and I, we used to drive around Newport Beach, down in Southern California, Newport Beach, Corona Del Mar, Laguna Beach. You know, we would dream about having a house down there, having a house on the beach, you know. Then we would be so happy. Tina and I used to spend time thinking about that thing that everyone needs that we could patent and sell and make tons of money. And we could, if we could figure it out and sell it, then our boat, you know, it, it'd come in and we would be on easy street. And it's that kind of focus, though, that robs many people from living for the Lord and bearing fruit for his glory. Riches can be a terrible trap. And Paul says that kind of focus can cause people to stray from the faith because their hearts become divided when they begin to focus on riches. It's deceitful and it's empty. How many godly men have strayed from the faith because of riches? How many godly families have been broken up because of the pursuit of riches? the pursuit of wealth. 
families that have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I have to tell you, it's been my experience when God gives us a warning. It's not so he can hear himself talk. It's so that we will seriously heed the warning. It's important that we maintain an eternal perspective. In a parallel passage in Mark, he writes, The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, entering to choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The desire for things, the stuff of life. I got to have that thing, right? And our heart gets divided and the word of God gets choked out in our lives because of that thing I got to have. Luke's gospel adds the pleasures of life. The pleasures of life can also choke out the word of God. And listen, again, I want you to hear me rightly. There's nothing wrong with pleasures, right? There's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself. There's nothing wrong with sports, you know, taking a nice vacation. There's nothing wrong at all of having a nice house on the lake or the big piece of property with the view. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when that becomes your focus, when it becomes, when it begins to possess you, that's when it begins to choke out what God wants to do in you. There was an article in Christianity Today years ago where they interviewed 75 Christians who were 75 years or older. And they asked them, if you could live your life over again, what would you change? Here are the, the top four answers. First, I would read the Bible more. Second, I would pray more. Third, I would spend quality time with my family. And I would spend quality time teaching my kids about the Lord. Those 75 Christians that were interviewed who were 75 years old or more, they all said I would read the Bible more, I would pray more, I would spend more quality time with my family, quality time teaching my kids about the Lord. And the fourth most common answer was I would take greater risks for the cause of Christ. I would take greater steps of faith. I would take more risks for the kingdom of God and for the cause of Christ. How many people do you think are in heaven today saying, you know, I wish I had a bigger house when I lived on earth. You know, I wish I spent more time at the office making more money. Why didn't we spend more time vacationing? I wish I didn't take the steps of faith for Jesus Christ that I did when I was on earth. I wish I played golf twice a week instead of just once a week. How many people do you think are saying that in heaven today? You know, if you could interview people today in heaven, I don't think you would find a one 
that would say anything close to that. In fact, I think that as we come to the end of our lives, like those 75 Christians that they interviewed, we'll come to the conclusion that we allowed the things of this world to choke out much of what God wants to do in our lives. But the good news is this. Your life isn't over. Oh, what God can do in your life, even still, if you'll prepare your heart, if you'll prepare your heart to allow the word of God to take root in your heart, like the fourth soil we see here, verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. It's this, it's this fourth soil that understands the word of God, that makes it a priority in their life. Luke 18 or 8.15 adds that it's those who want to keep the word of God. It's the heart that says, I want to understand the word of God. Lord, I've come to church this morning and I want to hear from you. Would you speak to me this morning, Lord? I purpose in my heart, Lord, that whatever you say, I'm going to be obedient to do it. Lord, I want to do it. I want to be not just a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. I'm not interested in being more religious today when I leave. I want to be more in love with you, Jesus. I want the word of God to wash over me today and to become part of who I am. When I leave here today, Lord, I, I want that which I've heard this morning, that which we've studied to change me. That's what I want, Lord. I want change in my life. You know, have your way with me this morning, Jesus. Have your way. I'm yours. The man or the woman who will have a fruitful life is the man or the woman that has a heart to understand and to keep the word of God. The result will be a fruitful life, the Bible says. You will have a fruitful life if you give place to the word of God and you seek to keep it. You will uh, have a fruitful life, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. I think it's interesting that the normal seed to harvest Harvest uh, return is eight to one. I'm not a farmer. You can talk to uh, Tom and he'll, he'll tell you, he'll probably confirm this, you know. But eight to one, that's my understanding. And what Jesus is saying to us here is that you and I can live an extremely fruitful life. How? How can I live that life if you will give place to God's word if you'll give a place to God's word in your life not just on Sundays if you will give a priority to God's word and come to him saying Lord I want to learn right when you read that as a man men as we read the Bible 
And we read that we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Lord, I want, I want to learn. Lord, I want to do that. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. I, want to, I don't want to be just a hearer of that. I want to do it. Show me how to love my life, my wife uh, today, Lord, the way you love the church. And women... You women, when you read in the Bible that you're to respect your husband, Lord, I want to do that. Teach me. I, I don't want to just hear it. I want to do it as impossible as it may be, Lord. Show me how to do it today. I want to read to you this morning seven types of fruit mentioned in the New Testament, and we'll finish here. Seven types of fruit mentioned in the New Testament. First, Romans 6.22 says holiness is a fruit. As you take in the word of God and give yourself to do it, the result will be a holy lifestyle. Secondly, Romans 1.13 says soul winning is a fruit. Witnessing, leading people to Christ, that's a fruit. Three, Galatians 5.22.23, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you give place to the word, in, uh, word of God in your life, the Word of God will work these things into your life. Fourthly, Philippians 4.17 says, Giving financially is a fruit. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Colossians 1.10 says, good works is a fruit. Number six, Hebrews 12.11 says that righteousness is a fruit, a right lifestyle before God. Hebrews 13.15 says that offering God praise is a fruit. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise of God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. As you give place to the word of God in your life, saying to God, Lord, I want to be a doer of your word, not just a hearer of it. I want to be a doer of the word. Then one of the results will be a heart that is continually praising the Lord. The parable of the sower, it's a special parable to me. It's, it's dear to my heart because I had a lady come to me when I was a newborn baby Christian and she spoke this parable to me and then she said, what group do you want to be found in, Gary? The choice is yours. And this morning, I would ask you, what group do you want to be found in? Because the choice is yours. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the promises in, in your word. Well, your promise of salvation to anyone that would turn from their sins and turn to you and ask you to come into their life, to wash them, to cleanse them. And Lord, I just, 
I just pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you today, Lord, anybody watching online that doesn't know you, that they would just bow their heart and ask you to forgive them of their sins, that they would confess their sins to you and confess you as Lord, that they would confess that they believe that you died for them and was buried and resurrected the third day and now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for them, Lord. I pray those that would come to you, God, you would meet them as you promised, make them a new creation, cleanse them, forgive them, and just come into their life, walk with them through the difficulties of this life, walk through with them the trials, Lord, we give you praise. For those that have a hard heart, I pray, God, you would move on their hearts and give them a new heart as they confess that to you. And those that need to go deeper with you, Lord, that you would meet them and take them deeper, that, that they would give place to your word. Lord, that all of us would give a greater priority to your word in our life, that we would live that extremely fruitful life, Lord. Work your truth in us, Lord. We give you praise and glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen.